Compass Media Networks. This is America's First News. This morning, with your host, Gordon Deal. Hospital blast kills hundreds. Good morning, I'm Gordon Deal, along with Jennifer Koshenka. On this Wednesday, October 18th, here's what we have for you this hour. Israel and Hamas are blaming each other for a missile strike at a hospital that reportedly killed at least 500 Meanwhile, President Biden has arrived in Tel Aviv. The war in the Middle East is forcing the White House to reestablish a military footprint in an area it's been trying to exit. We'll examine the strategy. Republican nominee Jim Jordan will try again this morning to secure enough votes to be House Speaker. The Ohio congressman failed in round one. And the billionaire donors from the 2015 Republican presidential primary, who so far are sitting this one out. They are more than willing to get behind a candidate uh, if there's a clear way for a challenger to topple Trump. But this deep into the primary season when we've had a couple of debates and if anything, Trump is only gaining in the polls while everyone else just struggles and, and even, you know, falls. Julie Bikowitz at the Wall Street Journal on Trump challengers left begging for money from deep-pocketed donors. Hamas militants say at least 500 people have been killed after a rocket blasted a hospital in the Gaza Strip that was packed with people who were wounded or seeking shelter. The terrorist group blames an Israeli airstrike. Israel is pointing a finger at a rocket misfired by other Palestinian militants. Mark Regev is senior advisor to Israel's prime minister. So at this stage, we don't know what happened. Hamas, of course, the Hamas-controlled Ministry of Health in Gaza will be saying it's all Israel's fault. That's part of their narrative. I urge people, let's just wait and see what happened. Let's look at the facts as they develop. Israel does not target hospitals. He was on Fox News. Video that the Associated Press confirmed showed fire engulfing the building and the hospital grounds strewn with torn bodies, many of them young children. The grass around them was littered with blankets, school backpacks, and other belongings. Elsewhere, hundreds of Palestinians flooded the streets of major West Bank cities, including Ramallah, the seat of the Palestinian Authority, where protesters hurled stones at Palestinian security forces who fired back with stun grenades. During President Biden's visit to Israel today, the White House says he'll pose tough questions in meetings with Israeli leaders, especially following the strike on a Gaza hospital. The president is meeting with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu to show U.S. support in the aftermath of an attack on Israeli villages and military bases by Hamas terrorists that killed hundreds of people 11 days ago. National Security Council spokesman John Kirby. He has directed the national security team to, uh, to gather as much information and context as possible so that we can uh, learn more about uh, how this happened. Palestinian officials say Israel's bombardment of Gaza has killed about 3,000 people. In Israel, officials say Hamas's terror attack and ongoing rocket attacks have killed some 1,400. Thirteen U.S. nationals remain unaccounted for after the Hamas raids in Israel and 31 U.S. citizens have been confirmed killed. Elsewhere, the United States authorized non-essential personnel and their families to leave the U.S. Embassy near Beirut, Lebanon. To Washington now, 0 for 1. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan did not secure enough votes in the first round of voting to be elected House Speaker after more Republicans than expected joined Democrats in giving a thumbs down. No person having received a majority of the whole number of votes cast by surname the speaker has not been elected. Mr. Jordan saw 20, 
GOP lawmakers break with him in round one yesterday afternoon, many more than the handful the GOP nominee could afford to lose. Democrats back their pick, Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries. The situation in the House of Representatives right now is unreal, unbelievable, and unacceptable. Republican holdouts scattered their votes among other GOP figures. The result deflated hopes for a quick resolution of intra-party fighting two weeks after a small band of GOP dissidents engineered the ouster of former Speaker Kevin McCarthy. While Mr. Jordan, backed by Donald Trump, wanted another vote, Republicans ultimately decided to regroup for the second round later this morning. Bring smiles to all when shopping online with Dell Technologies Gift Guide. Whether it's for the artist, the entrepreneur, the student, or the streamer, you'll find the perfect gift. Dell.com slash gift guide makes gifting easy with a carefully curated selection. Shop now to explore our innovative PCs like the XPS 13 laptop, powered by the latest Intel Core processors plus accessories. Visit Dell.com slash gift guide today. That's Dell.com slash Gift guide. Thanks for joining us. The war between Hamas and Israel is forcing the Biden administration to send more forces and military capabilities back into the region. Gordon Lubold, White House and national security reporter at The Wall Street Journal, says it once again refocuses American policy on the Middle East at a time when it's been hoping to concentrate on potential threats from China and Russia. Gordon, explain. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, certainly uh, the Biden administration came in saying we really are um, uh, no fool and going to focus on Asia and uh, and pivot that way. Um, and we're beginning to align uh, the military posture, which is probably one of the more tangible things that people can see toward uh, uh, toward Asia. Um, obviously, Ukraine kicked off uh, now uh, like a year and a half ago or more. And that was a, a major distraction. But the U.S., you know, policymakers, um, military commanders said, you know, I was still on the ball. Um, now this, uh, you know, people like to say the enemy gets a vote. Um, I think we're seeing now the enemy getting a vote, which is to say it's it's forcing the U.S. and the Biden administration to kind of rethink its its level of deterrence in the region. Yeah, I mean, we just spent 20 years there. Uh, now we're seemingly heading back. Are we stretched too thin militarily? So I, I think it's too, way too soon to be able to say that. And we certainly don't know, uh, you know, I want to be clear that although there's naval assets, uh, fighter squadrons, uh, probably some, you know, a couple thousand support personnel, um, headed there for now. Um, the conflict seems uh, like it's going to be longer. Um, we don't know kind of how far the U.S. is going to go and how much it will really, how long it will be there and, and, and you know, what, what the contours of the deployments would look like yet. We're speaking with Gordon Lubold, White House and national security reporter at The Wall Street Journal. His piece is called War in the Middle East Challenges Biden's Defense Strategy. Um, meanwhile, China, Russia, Iran are all looking on and thinking what? Do we know? Well, I mean, I think primarily they've been looking at the political dysfunction in Washington for the last, you know, um, particularly the last uh, month or two, um, as seeing it, it's hard for, you know, politically for the U.S. to kind of get its act together to kind of figure out what it wants to do. Um, uh, but, yeah, uh, you know, certainly China was enjoying 
the essentially the the real time uh, war game that they were watching in, in unfold in Europe, watching how the U.S. and and its allies responded to the war in Ukraine. So that's been useful for them. A, B, you know, certainly uh, the U.S. is having to uh, reactivate its defense industry to kind of even uh, get square with the amount of weaponry that's gone into Ukraine because of that conflict. Um, And again, now this, uh, which I don't think yet suggests that there's going to be a tax on, uh, you know, a, a strain on the defense industry. But it's yet another distraction. And I think, I guess, to us, uh, having reported this now for the last couple of few years under this administration and before under the Trump administration, um, there really was an attempt to, to and, and President Trump definitely felt this way, get out of the Middle East once and for all. Uh, and, you know, uh, as I say, uh, there's plenty of military commanders and policymakers who don't believe it's possible to do that without uh, kind of inviting this kind of problem. Now, I want to say nobody's suggesting that the the, the, um, the shrinking of American military uh, posture in the Middle East invited the Hamas attack. Okay, but it's another reason why I think now there's going to be an argument for we need to have a baseline, more of a baseline of uh, of military posture in the region. Uh, you touched on it a little bit, but finish up talking about uh, armaments here and. What's gone to Ukraine and now the stuff that's going to Israel? So, you know, over the last uh, year and a half or more, uh, just, uh, whatever it's at, about $48 billion worth of weaponry in the Ukraine, it's, it's uh, strained American military readiness to some extent, in particular, like if you use the example of 155 millimeter artillery shells, which the U.S. is now running low on, um, it's not about to fight an artillery war anywhere necessarily, but uh, it, it, it was straining its readiness levels there. It was definitely forcing a reactivation of the defense industrial base in the U.S. and among allies. Um, that's starting to get back online so that uh, it can keep up with the, the demand just for that conflict. Thanks, Gordon. That is Gordon Lubold, White House and national security reporter at the Wall Street Journal. 20 minutes after the hour on this morning, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. The bombing of a hospital in Gaza City has killed hundreds of people and escalated the ongoing conflict between Israel and Hamas. Both sides blame the other, while horrific scenes of the wounded ignite street protests in capitals across the region. College student Tala Herzala, who lives in Gaza, spoke with ABC. We as civilians... Where are we supposed to go? We went to schools, they bombed schools. We went to the south, they bombed the south. We went to hospitals, they bombed the hospitals. Israel's uh, aerial bombardment campaign over the Gaza Strip is part of what it calls a total siege. This includes cutting off water, food, and electricity supplies to a population of 2 million people. The Israeli government says Hamas is still holding at least 199 hostages kidnapped from Israel. Number two. Jim Jordan of Ohio failed to win enough votes Tuesday to be elected House Speaker after more Republicans than expected joined Democrats in declining to back him, setting up lawmakers for an unpredictable second round of balloting today. Republican Ken Buck of Colorado says Jordan won't admit that Donald Trump lost the 2020 election, and that's an issue. 
if the Republican Party is going to move forward in this next election cycle um, and have a chance of winning the White House, I think we've got we have to get beyond that story. Twenty GOP lawmakers broke with Jordan in the first round Tuesday afternoon. Many more than the handful the GOP nominee could afford to lose. Number three. Thousands of casino workers in Detroit have walked off the job, calling their first strike since the MGM Grand, Motor City Casino Hotel, and Hollywood Casino at Greektown opened their doors in the city about a quarter of a century ago. The push for better wages by dealers, valets, housekeepers, and food and beverage workers came after negotiators for the three casinos and unions representing 3,700 workers failed to reach agreement by a noon deadline yesterday. A British family's 14-year-old cat has earned a Guinness World Record when her ear-splitting purr was measured at 54.59 decibels. Bella was awarded the record for loudest purr by a domestic cat after her sounds were measured by an acoustic engineer. Guinness set the marker for the record at 50 decibels, a threshold Bella easily cleared. Come on. That was real? That (laughs) That was was, a real purr? That was a real purr. Wow. Thank you, Jen. Aging is a journey that can gather some unwanted passengers, namely those senescent or zombie cells. Hi, it's Gordon Deal, and I used to feel that sluggish middle-age mood, those aches after workouts. I could practically feel those old cells just taking up space, bogging me down. Then I found Qualia Senolytic. Think of it as giving your body a little spring cleaning, pruning away the worn-out cells, and letting the lively ones shine. And you only take it two days a month. Crafted with vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO ingredients. Plus, with a 100-day money-back guarantee, you've got a risk-free journey to rejuvenation. Resist aging at the cellular level. Try Qualia Senolytic. Go to neurohacker.com slash Gordon for up to $100 off and use code Gordon at checkout for an additional 15% off. That's neurohacker.com slash Gordon for an extra 15% off. Thanks to Neurohacker for sponsoring today's show. Neurohacker.com slash Gordon. Thanks for being with us. Nearly 8 in 10 adults who plan to travel for the holidays say they're modifying their plans in response to inflation and or rising prices. Here's how from Ted Rosman, Senior Industry Analyst at Bankrate.com. Ted, give us takeaways. I think it's interesting how more people are projected to travel this year, 48% this holiday season versus 43% a year ago. But like you said, they are modifying their plans. 77%, in fact, are making some changes because of inflation. So I think it goes to show that travel demand is really high, but people are willing to cut some corners to save money, namely driving instead of flying. That was actually the biggest modification. And then other things like picking cheaper accommodations and cheaper activities. Okay. Um, So those types of modifications, I feel like I would try to do them anyway, but not (laughs) this is more, more prevalent right now. It is, yeah. And this is something we saw over the summer as well. I think the big theme here is that obviously people are worried about inflation and high interest rates and all that, but they are prioritizing experiences. And I think a lot of that is rooted in moving on from the pandemic. And I think a lot of people saying that they really crave concerts and sporting events and trips and meals out. And I feel like these are the hot spending categories right now. Not so much physical goods. People have started to pull back on what they're spending on electronics and furniture and home improvements. But I think when it comes to travel, people want to do it, even if that means cutting a few corners to save a few bucks. Yeah. 
We're speaking with Ted Rossman, senior industry analyst at Bankrate.com. They've taken a look at how inflation and rising prices will be impacting our travel plans. Uh, generally speaking, though, b- more broadly, concerns here, not just about, say, saving a few bucks, concerns about travel. Yeah, costs are number one, but a close second is some kind of delay or cancellation. And sadly, there's been a lot of that at our nation's airports the past few years. The airline industry has not fully recovered from the pandemic in terms of staffing and capacity. And it doesn't take much to throw things off track. So a lot of people are worried that their trip might be delayed or canceled. One thing that you can do to protect yourself is to take advantage of your credit card's travel insurance perks. You often don't need to buy a separate policy because a lot of credit cards have built-in travel protections, ranging from trip cancellation and interruption protection to some money if your flight is delayed and you need to get a hotel room and pay for some meals or if your luggage is late or your rental car is damaged or something like that. A lot of credit cards have these perks at no added cost. How about the generational breakdown here? What'd you find? Young adults really stand out and people with lower incomes as well. So these are the groups that are most concerned about holiday travel and the cost that it brings. There's a lot of intersection too between lower income households are often younger adults. When it comes to the holidays, these tend to be the people that are traveling too, maybe grandma and grandpa host or mom and dad, and and it's the adult children who come home often with their own kids in tow, and people are worried about how they're going to pay for it all. Thanks, Ted. Ted Rossman, Senior Industry Analyst at Bankrate.com. Hey there, Gordon Deal here, and everyone knows the best part of fall is the food. I found a new way to embrace the season. Hello Fresh Markets, limited time fall flavors. Let me tell you about their apple cider cake with caramel sauce. Man, so good. Are you looking for the perfect game night treat? Write this one down, barbecue pulled pork nachos. Speaking of which, I recently had the kids home from school, and HelloFresh not only saved me time, but made me look like a pro chef. Using farm-fresh ingredients, you're going to get the flavors of fall in every bite. And trust me, you don't want to miss out on the mini pumpkin cheesecake. It's perfect for a me-time treat. Want to give it a shot? Go to HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon and use code 50Gordon for 50% off plus free shipping. That's right, 50% off plus free shipping at HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon with code 50Gordon. HelloFresh.com slash 50Gordon with code 50 Gordon. Cutting through the clutter to bring you the people and stories that matter to you. You're listening to America's First News this morning with Gordon Deal. Thanks for spending time with us. Welcome into Wednesday, October 18. Gordon Deal, Jennifer Koshenka. Some of our top stories and headlines. Biden arrived in Tel Aviv today expecting to learn who was responsible for a deadly hospital strike in Gaza. Wall Street Journal says satellite images show Russia increasing its nuclear ability in Belarus to target Ukraine. Ohio Republican Jim Jordan has failed in round one of his attempt to be House Speaker. Earnings news, 33% profit drop for Goldman Sachs. Baseball, Phillies up 2-0 on the Diamondbacks in the NLCS. And speaking of the Phils, what's with Bryce Harper's bracelet? We'll have that story in about 20 minutes. This portion of the program is brought to you by Dell. 
Dell Technologies has a gift for everyone on your list with top tech powered by the latest Intel Core processors. Get a jump on your holiday shopping at dell.com slash gift guide. Billionaire business leaders Paul Singer, Ken Griffin, Joe Ricketts, and Stephen Schwartzman blew through tens of millions of dollars trying to topple an ascendant Donald Trump in the 2016 Republican presidential primary. But Julie Bikowitz, reporter at The Wall Street Journal, says they are reluctant to give it another try sitting on the sidelines right now. Julie, what's happening? I mean, I really like to think of it as they're staying on their wallets. Um, (laughs) They still feel very scarred by the experience that they had giving millions and millions and millions of dollars in 2015 leading up to the the very competitive 2016 Republican primary. And they're very loath to repeat the pattern, especially since it's the same elephant in the room, Donald Trump. What do they say about it? They're frustrated. Um, They are more than willing to get behind a candidate uh, if there's a clearer path. I hate the word path in these stories, but a a way for a challenger to topple Trump. But this deep into the primary season when we've had a couple of debates, and certainly this has all been in the news for months and months now, if anything, Trump is only gaining in the polls while everyone else just struggles and and even, you know, falls. So there's not a clear person who can do it. And if that candidate were to emerge, there are plenty of big donors like the people that we've been talking about who are ready, willing and able to fund them. Boy. So what does that mean then for the likes of uh, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, throw in a Chris Christie, a Tim Scott? I mean, what, what does that mean? I think, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean it's over by any means. Um, there's there's real voting that will occur, and it's going to occur in less than three months, start occurring. And at that point, you know, it is possible that there is some clarity that comes into the race where maybe uh, DeSantis overperforms in a state or two, uh, comes in a close-ish second to Trump, and gets donors excited about, you know, pouring money into his campaign again, to his super PAC again. Same story, but swap in Nikki Haley. I mean, certainly, as some of these donors and their aides were telling me, you know, there's a, a period to reassess where things stand. It's just that at this point in time, it doesn't look super hopeful for those who are maybe Republican, but hoping for an alternative to Trump. We're speaking with Julie Bikowitz, national politics reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Her story is called Trump Challengers Are Begging for Money, Big Donors Are Not Giving It. But you did say that not all the big donors are on the sidelines. Like who? That's right. Um, Dick Uline comes to to mind. He is uh, spending in a huge way. Um, Larry Ellison has said in the past that he's all in on a a Scott campaign, Tim Scott campaign, and had over the years, recent years, donated about 30 million to a super PAC supporting him. There's a guy, Robert Bigelow, um, who's a donor I hadn't really heard of. He's a Las Vegas hotelier and uh, space enthusiast who gave $20 million to DeSantis's super PAC um, so it certainly isn't that they're, that everyone is out this time, but some of the the biggest names for the longest period of time in Republican financing are the set of people who are just very hesitant to jump right in this time. Yeah. All right. So uh, the, the guys you mentioned at the top of your story, like a singer or Griffin, Ricketts, Schwartzman, uh, who did they back in 2015? Like where, where was their money going? 
quite a bit of the money was going to Marco Rubio of this particular set of donors. Um, the, the person who you think of with having the most financial firepower in 2016 was Jeb Bush. Um, he had a super PAC that had about $100 million in, in it, and that was able to really sustain him through some of the early primaries, and then it just looked worse and worse for him. But um, Singer and uh, Griffin were very much um, backing Marco Rubio, who looked like a strong candidate for a while, but couldn't quite get it together um, to defeat Trump and consolidate the field, the same sort of terminology that donors are using now, consolidating the field. Um, Ted Cruz also had quite a few uh, big super PAC backers of his own. So there was plenty of money going around. And, you know, again, there's plenty of money this time. But mm -hmm. the difference is that that is starting to sort of dry up for some of these candidates. Um, just the other day, Tim Scott's super PAC said it's basically done with its media buys because there's no point in spending money this fall because the race just isn't moving. Thanks, Julie. Julie Bikowitz, reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Today's mic drop is brought to you by Dell. For your small business needs, call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. Hey, glad you could be with us. Welcome into Wednesday. It is time now for the mic drop with this morning's Mike Gavin. Good morning. Well, in this day and age, it's easy for some of us to overreact what, to what we see in pictures or video, and we have two examples of that today. Let's start in Pennsylvania, where residents in Lehigh County were warned about a possible mountain lion on the loose after police determined an image captured on video by a homeowner looked like a large and possibly dangerous feline. And even though the animals aren't common in the area in 2023, a rash of alligator sightings in the state last month as people believing anything is possible. However, while the alligator sightings were actually real, the mountain lion was not. Officials now say that the, lar that the large feline was in fact just a feral house cat. This was determined by a biologist with the state's game commission who analyzed the pictures, though they said the resident did the right thing by reporting the big cat. So the feral cat. Yeah. Was not a mountain lion. Apparently not. I see. I mean, looked okay. looked fairly large, but the picture was taken from like ninety yards away or something. So it's okay. you know it's hard to get the scale there. I, I guess. I only have um, really one mountain lion story to share. Oh boy, well, I, that's more one more I, than I have. I was in a Glacier National Park mm -hmm. in Montana for a night during a whitewater rafting trip. Okay, and as we checked into this cabin we had for the night. The park ranger said, there's an outhouse, right, not running water. Yeah, there's yeah. an outhouse. Be sure to ring the bells that are hanging <laughs> on the back of your cabin door yes. before you go to the outhouse at night because mountain lions like to lie on top of the outhouse roof. Oh, boy. I don't know why. I was afraid to ask why. And, and you held it in? Well, <laughs> that's what I would have done. I, 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 I had to make the calculation. Am I going to just pee in my pajamas tonight right. uh, or, or make a run? Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you don't want to have to make that determination. No. That's not an easy choice to yeah, make. Yeah, that was a very, very difficult what calculation. What choice did you make? I ultimately went to the outhouse. Oh, okay. Did you ring the bell? Uh, I, I ran, we rang the bells and, and we, we positioned the car 
yeah. to shine the headlights okay. on the outhouse to make sure all was clear. All right. But it's the fastest, like, 15-yard sprint <laughs> I've ever made. Right. You never went so mm-hmm. fast Out in your and back. Life. And uh, was it a moment of pure joy by a football fan or a paid actor trying to drum up excitement? Hard to believe, but conspiracy theories were flying after a San Diego Chargers fan went viral for her instant reactions to a touchdown and eventual loss by her team on Monday Night Football. Marianne Doe became a viral celebrity after ESPN's cameras caught her expressions of despair, excitement, and then despair again as the Chargers and Cowboys battled back and forth in the game. Unfortunately, Marianne's reactions were, for some, a little too perfect, and theories began to fly that she was a paid actor hired to fake her excitement on camera. The conspiracy theory spread so rapidly that NFL reporter Tom Pelissaro followed up on the matter and confirmed yesterday that the woman is, in fact, a real Chargers fan of 20 years and a season ticket holder. In response to the accusations that she's fake, Marianne said that she wishes mm. she was getting paid for her roller coaster of emotions. Yeah. Well, so- here's the thing. There aren't a ton of hardcore San Diego, uh, or I'm sorry, uh, Los Angeles Chargers. I actually said San Diego in my copier. Los Angeles Chargers yeah. fans in Los Angeles right yeah, now. Most yep. of them are still in San Diego, right. and that's kind of the problem. Yeah. Like the Chargers at times are they're cute. Uh, yeah. Because they like have no home and stuff. <laughs> I mean, there are probably more Cowboys fans there than there were Chargers fans at yes. the time. So you can see why maybe there might be some skepticism. Poor Marion. Uh, yeah. Loses the game and then gets accused of being a fake. <laughs> Hook her up, Chargers. Hook her up. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. Bring smiles to all when shopping online with Dell Technologies Gift Guide. Whether it's for the artist, the entrepreneur, the student, or the streamer, you'll find the perfect gift. Dell.com slash gift guide makes gifting easy with a carefully curated selection. Shop now to explore our innovative PCs like the XPS 13 laptop, powered by the latest Intel Core processors, plus accessories. Visit Dell.com slash gift guide today. That's Dell.com slash gift guide. Thanks for spending time with us. Home sales have been slowing for more than a year because of rising borrowing costs, record high home prices, as you know, and a very limited inventory of homes for sale. The shrinking housing market will likely send ripples through the whole economy. It could force some wannabe homeowners to keep renting. A rise in rent helped push up U.S. consumer prices and could make it harder for the Federal Reserve to end interest rate increases if rents keep increasing. Slowing home sales could also impede economic growth by limiting spending on housing-related items, such as appliances and furniture, and prompt home builders to pull back on new construction. Eight minutes now in front of the hour on this morning. Once again, here's Jennifer Koshenka. And now, the three big things you need to know. Number one. An explosion rocked a hospital in Gaza on Tuesday, killing hundreds in one of the deadliest single incidents of violence in the Strip hours before President Biden landed in Tel Aviv. I was deeply saddened and outraged by the uh, explosion at the hospital in Gaza yesterday. And based on what I've seen, it appears as though it was done by the other team. Hamas and Palestinian officials blamed Israel and said at least 500 people were killed. Israel's prime minister's office says there were clear indications the blast was a misfire by the militant Palestinian Islamic Jihad, which the group denied. The source of the explosion could not be immediately verified. Number two. Donald Trump returned Tuesday to the civil fraud trial that imperils his real estate empire, watching and deploring the case as an employee and an outside appraiser. 
testified that his company essentially put a thumb on the scale when sizing up his property's value. Incensed by a case that disputes his net worth and could strip him of significant holdings such as Trump Tower, the former president is due to testify later in the trial, but he chose to attend the first three days and came back Tuesday to observe. Star witness Michael Cohen, a one-time Trump fixer now turned foe, postponed his scheduled testimony because of a health problem. Number three. The FBI and White House have sent a warning about how technology is being used against the U.S., calling it the new Cold War. FBI Director Christopher Wray says artificial intelligence is full of promise but can be exceptionally dangerous in the wrong hands. The Chinese government has stolen more of Americans' personal and corporate data than every other nation, big or small, combined. The Biden administration yesterday issued new restrictions on companies exporting AI technology to China and other countries. Bosses have a problem these days. Workers are actually taking their sick days. Workers have long viewed an unwillingness to take sick days as a badge of honor, but now they're using days for COVID, flu, RSV, and even mental health. So far this year, 30% of white-collar workers with access to paid leave have taken sick time, up from 21% in 2019, according to payroll firm Gusto. Employees between ages 25 and 34 are taking sick days most often. Some employers complain such worker absences are driving up costs. Those who are, say, 35 and older, like you and I, can't relate. That's, that's not something I, you, I don't think I've ever seen you take a sick day. Not ever, not once. Thanks for joining us. If you look at Philadelphia first baseman Bryce Harper's wrist, you might notice him sporting a Phillies-colored bracelet. CBS News Philadelphia says brothers Jace and Wyatt Anderson made the red, white, blue, and green rubber band bracelet for Harper earlier this season. This summer, the boys started making the bracelets, reminiscent of the Rainbow Loom bracelets that took the world by storm in the early 2010s, and they wanted to make one for their favorite baseball player. The New Jersey Brothers sent the bracelet to Harper in September along with their own autographed baseball cards and a letter wishing him luck. The Anderson family noticed Harper wearing the bracelet later that month. He's continued wearing it this postseason. He's having an excellent postseason, by the way, hitting 385 with four home runs and seven RBI through the first six games. The Phillies, by the way, took a 2-0 series lead on the Diamondbacks last night. That'll do it for this hour. For Jennifer Koshenka and Mike Gavin, I'm Gordon Deal. Thanks for listening to This Morning, America's First News.